Um, this morning is a very special morning because our dear friends and members and pillars are back from being in Scotland, right? Or was it borderline? Is it Scotland? Or okay, right on the southern part of Scotland, though, right? Yeah, kind of, anyway. But near, I remember, we went there and visited this place. But anyway, so I've asked if Miriam and Peppy would come and share a little bit about their trip. And I promised, but you know I break my word all the time. I promised, I said, when I texted them, I said, and I'll even shorten my sermon if you'll come. Now, when she came in this morning, though she's been gone for three months, she said, will you really shorten your sermon? So apparently her faith has not increased, even though she's been gone with Pepe. And uh, you know how to hold it close to your mouth as you speak. And um, Anyway, we just love to hear and take your time and let's hear what uh, the Lord was doing. We would not take too much time. Uh, <laughs> we're very grateful to be here safe after being three months away in this beautiful place called The Build at Black Ruthven. I, I asked all over the place where Black Ruthven means and nobody, even the locals, had a very good answer for that. <laughs> they told me to Google the, the, the word Ruthven, which seems to be either uh, a clan of people that live there and um, means red. It's very strange. But the place is a piece of heaven on earth. And um, what I like the most of everything is people. So the place is nice. The Lord gave us a amazing opportunity to go there and, and, and do whatever they ask us to do. And here, what I. Here, it was a retreat center. I don't think something. It is a retreat center. It's a, they have. Um, 500 acres of land. In the midst of that is a retreat center, a conference center. It's open to people that want to come to the facilities without asking questions of what your religion or beliefs. Uh, the Lord uses that to touch people that come with other agendas. Um, and also they have, which I didn't realize at the time that we stopped there, they have a wonderful ministry they have a little piece that is like a small farm. They call it the small holding. And uh, there's people right there that minister to uh, persons with special needs. So the people that, that work that farm are people with Down syndrome, people with uh, problems at schools, that they, uh, they're disrupted, whatever, and they send them there. And uh, there's a service to the community that is, to me, amazing. The lady that... Uh, kind of organizes the whole thing is called Norma and she has such love for all these people with special needs but at the same time no one is gonna jump over her she's this perfect combination of they keep an in, in discipline but they love them at the same time I want to be like that I'm, I'm not well it's uh, very happy uh, to be back and at the same time it's sad <clears throat> that we have to live a new family that we found there but it's, it's good to be back with our children with our grandchildren and with all the family at St. Andrews um, I uh, became uh, familiar with the uh, book of poems which I'm going to try to read 
one of them to you guys. They have chapel every day. They, they follow the rhythm of morning and evening prayer every day, and that is very beautiful in a small chapel where everybody participates. Everybody reads a piece. Uh, and, and the custom of that is to start with a poem, and this is one of the poems that we heard first. And uh, this is from uh, St. Francis of Assisi, and it's called When I Return from Rome. So when we return from the field. <laughs> a bird took flight, and a flower in a field whistled me as I passed. I drank from a stream of clear water, and at night the sky untied her hair, and I fell asleep, clutching a dress of gods. When I returned from Rome, all said, tell us the great news. And with that great excitement, I did. A flower in a field whistled, and at night this key untied her hair, and I fell asleep, clutching a sacred dress. One of the things that I really think that we learn over there is to, to see God everywhere in nature, to... And, and the birds and the it's, it's full of there's chickens where you where you walk it's chickens all over the place those chickens are really free range I have never seen chickens like because you know sometimes they say it's free range but they contain to uh, this chicken can go wherever they want to they're in the parking lot they're here they're, and I asked George the man in charge who's gonna gather the chickens and I said no nobody they come all by themselves a certain hour they all come and I guess the food. And, they have 500 acres to roam yeah. around. <laughs> Pepe took a, a video of me when we were, we had to walk a mile every day back and forth to the place where we were sleeping. So from the bill to the, what they call the cottage is a mile a walk. The first day I was like a, trying to take markers like, okay, now the, this tree, now that, because I thought it was too much. At the end, I was so used to the thing that we were coming back and forth with like nothing. We need to continue walking like that. <laughs> so you pass through where the chicken coop is, and at a certain time, they see you with a bucket or something, and Pepe will bring... Another thing that they do over there is they recycle and they compost everything. So everything that is in the house that is recyclable uh, uh, or, or composting, you have to bring it to the bill to these bins that they have there. So we will once a week bring all the all the kitchen scraps. So it's a, it's a bucket, and they see us with this bucket, and all these chickens are running to us. And say, Sorry to disappoint you, but I don't have no food. <laughs> and Pepe took a picture of a video of me with all the chickens running after me, but I had nothing to give them for things. We fell in love with the people. The arrangement was that. Uh, well, one of the things that we admire in those countries is that people stop to talk to each other. They call it tea, which sometimes here in America we consider very inconvenient, but I think it's wonderful. Because at 9.30, whatever it happened, when we were working in the gardens, we will just gather all, all the garden people around the table and drink tea and a little biscuits, and, but we will talk to each other. So we got to know that those people so well that at the end it was really hard to pull away from that. The Lord gave us so much favor, so much favor. One time it was a, 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 um, um, 
exhibition. That, that garden is registered in the top gardens in the United Kingdom, the way that they keep that garden. So it was open garden exhibition. People came from other places, and it was this lady named Judy that came and just was like attracted to us. We were eating the lunch, and she came, sat with us, and then she happens to say to me, I don't know if I can uh, pray anymore and say that God is almighty, because look at all these things happening in the world. And I thought, well, that's not his fault. He is always and forever almighty. And she started paying so much attention to me, and we had this wonderful conversation to the point that he said, can I ask my priest if you guys can go and talk in our church? And we want to talk at that church, just like out of nothing. They didn't know us from Adam, and they invited us to speak in that church. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> well, uh, we, we had uh, wonderful experiences. One of them was that of all the places that we could uh, go and uh, see Ruth Fasal, it was in Perth. All of a sudden, this lady mentions to, to Miriam, oh, she's coming. Where? Oh, the uh, train hotel. No, the station hotel by the, by the train station. And so how much are the tickets? Oh, it's free admission. Oh, wonderful. So we had the pleasure to, to meet, uh, to do all, among all those things, even this, which was just uh, a, a premium. But the way that the Lord works, he prepares everything. First of all, this lady named Jacqueline falls in love with us to the point that it's like she has been our friend forever and ever. She comes and picks us up and whatever transportation we need takes us to lunch and all these things. And she's the one that uh, knows that Ruth Fasal is coming and is willing to come to the bill because the bill is out of nowhere. You have to, wherever you come, you have to really uh, drive at least 20, 30 minutes. So she's willing to come and pick us up and take us to lunch and take us to dinner. And it's just amazing because we were just there three months. And then the, the last uh, day, well, on Thursday, they said there's not going to be tea at, at 10 30, which is usually community tea. Come at 10. And that meant that no tea at the gardeners either. So everybody came together. And uh, the lady that cooks, her name is Wen, heard that I l like a cake named pavlova. They made this huge pavlova, which is so good. And, and they gathered everybody in the build to say goodbye to us. And it was such a moving time. Oh, Lord, thank you. Well, we can spend uh, all day talking to you guys yeah, here. He the, <laughs> the reality is that, uh, uh, yeah, we left the family there, but we are glad to, to be back with this family. And we love you. Uh, but one of the things that I really ask the Lord is to, to um, teach me humility. And for sure, we, we practice that. First of all, most of the, of, the, of the work that we did in the garden was on our knees. We did lots of weeding. We were willing to do whatever they asked us to do, and that's what we did. Uh, um, looks like we were an experiment. The name that is the, the, the guy that is the business organization, is, his name is George, and he's the one that decided to take us. 
as an older couple, because usually the people that go there as volunteers, older? they're, well, they're young people. And he said, oh, this is better than I even imagined. It works so well, because usually young people come, and what they want is just free accommodations. They do their work in the morning, and they disappear. And they never become part of the community. And we became so much part of the community that he said that it was just glorious that he's going to try to to do it again. And it's okay. Probably it's going to work, but he's not going to get another Pepe and Miriam. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for sure. <laughs> but um, the Lord really spoke to me all this time about how much self is just is still inside me and how much it has to get out and through some books and some readings and, and prayers. So I need to continue this journey until it's more of him and less of me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, imagine getting a chance to go for three months with the very intention of going to pray and to pray with other people who have given themselves to a uh, life of prayer and work, uh, following some of the, the patterns of the early church and some of the monastic ideas. and Anyway, pretty amazing. But for sure, some of you don't know how uh, much uh, Pepe and Miriam serve and have served our church for so long because uh, some of you, you know, just aren't around to see all the things and know. But uh, I guarantee you they won't get another Pepe and Miriam, but we are so glad that you had a great time, but we're so glad to have you back. So, all right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the gospel this morning? I want to talk about the parable of the publican and the tax, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee and the publican. And I'm just going to, we read it this morning, and I'm guessing they can go back to it. I'm guessing. Um, and I'm just going to talk through the story this morning because... Um, here on the 11th Sunday after Trinity, the church is focusing us on this collect or this prayer that is focusing our attention that God's, the manifestation of mercy and grace is the greatest revelation of who God is. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, if you think about it, God spoke and created 600 million something galaxies and, and we can think of his power and, and just the, you know, the idea of a God that's that big and there's so many things that reveal to us even the beauty of nature and uh, uh, sometimes we're so busy we miss some of that. We've got a hummingbird that's been coming and, and uh, eating in our little uh, porch area and uh, not many things stop and get my attention but I have to say that hummingbird has been doing that and i uh, thinking about you know the beauty of nature and, and then I don't know, I, apparently they come through all the time but I, I don't know that I ever saw a swallowtail kite before and apparently they come you know, like in the hundreds and hundreds from Latin America up to New York and back uh, but the, you know, the swallowtail kites have the, the tail that's separated. I, I, you know, I, don't, I, I didn't even, when I saw it, I thought it was maybe a drone because I didn't know a bird. I didn't know the birds looked like that. But I thought it was the most beautiful thing to see this swallowtail kite. And uh, anyway, but uh, it takes sometimes different rhythms to kind of wake us up and to appreciate. But so the church is reminding us of the greatest way that we know in the deepest revelation of God is in his capacity to forgive sinners, uh, not in the display of his power, but that a God that's that powerful and that immense could at the same time love us and would die for us on the cross, that that's the greatest 
uh, revelation of who God is in the deepest part of his heart. And, and so on this particular Sunday, we see somebody who encountered Jesus' forgiveness and grace, uh, Paul, and we see that though he says, I'm the chief of sinners, and he didn't forget who he was, he said, I labored far more, meaning I worked really hard with the grace that God gave me. I took it really serious. And, uh, and, and Paul committed himself to follow Jesus out of loyalty and faith to the one that saved him and forgave him. But he didn't forget who he was. And so he's the exemplar in the two texts this morning. But, but now we have Jesus talking about something that for religious people, we have to be really careful of. And that is self-righteousness. And the answer here, Jesus... So Jesus, in the, uh, in the 17th chapter, he's been talking about the kingdom. And so then the question is, well, why are we waiting? Isn't, isn't that always the question? Why are we waiting? So it's like, if God does all this, why are we waiting for it? Well, he goes into and talks about the speed of God and, and the vindication of God in the first part of the chapter. I'm not going to go there today, although it fits, of course, perfectly with this piece. But in this one, he says, hey, you need to know that when you're praying for the kingdom, only some people is God going to hear their prayers. And some people, God's not going to hear their prayers. And he says to us, in this parable, you might be shocked that the people that you would think are going to be heard by God are not. And there's people you would think, oh, they'd never be heard by God. And they're the ones who actually are going to experience the vindication of God. So he tells us the story about the Pharisee. Now, to understand this parable properly, you must know the point of the parable is not that this guy's a fraud. Meaning it's not that he claims... You know, like if I said, well, I pray 12 hours a day, but reality, I'm home watching Netflix. Okay? The point isn't that the Pharisee is presenting one lifestyle, but in reality, he's doing something else. No, no, no. The point is, the Pharisee is exactly what he promised. Meaning, he fasts twice a week. They had to fast once a week as Pharisees, but he fasts twice a week. Because Moses went up. Uh, the, according to tradition, Moses went up on the mountain on a Monday and came down on a Thursday. So every week the Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And, and so he did that, and, and he was scrupulous in it. He says he tied, and of course all the Pharisees tied. They were very careful and very big in their worship of God through their money. But he says, not just that. I don't just tithe my money. I tithe everything I get. And in the New King James or whatever this translation is, you can't see that. But in the Greek, he's saying, I tithe everything I get. So imagine, imagine that you, uh, I was going to say you buy a pack of hot dogs, which wouldn't be true because they wouldn't be buying any hot dogs uh, if you were Jewish. But anyway, because uh, of pork. But, so that's a bad example. But let's go back. Let's say you bought 100 paper plates. He's saying that everything, not only did he tithe, everything he gets, he would take the 100. He would count 10, and I assume he would give it at the temple. I don't know where he would deliver. But, but you know, imagine you, you go to your garden and you pull 10 tomatoes He's given one back at the temple, meaning everything he got from the increase, even after he tithed, he was that scrupulous to worship God in his finances. Man, what a guy. I mean, he's praying and doing all these different things. And, but Jesus says, this guy who's telling the truth about how good he is, is actually the one that God is not going to vindicate in terms of his prayer. And then there's the tax collector. And remember, the tax collector had the place in society that we might have for a drug dealer or we might have for a pimp. And that's not an exaggeration. Remember that the Romans sold the franchise 
to collect taxes. So the Roman government determined, I don't know how they determined, but let's say they said, we want to collect out of Palestine this year, we want to collect uh, $400 million or whatever it would be. Then Roman intermediate people would bid on the right to, be the tax, to have the right to collect the taxes. And then Jews, who were willing to turn in their, their friends, because they would know where the money is, they would buy the right and franchise and work. <coughs> Please forgive me. Um, they would buy the right also and bid for the right to get the taxes. And so these were people, they were not allowed to be trusted in any court. They couldn't give any testimony. They were considered to be reprehensible people. And they were. They were monsters. They were really, truly monster people. Not just because of taxes, but because the only way they could get ahead was to take from you more even than what you owed. And they had the power through the Roman government to take even more. And so they literally got wealthy by taking advantage of you by using the power of the government and the Roman soldiers. So you can imagine how you know, treacherous and uh, evil they were and how much people didn't like him. Yet in this parable, this super religious guy, Jesus says, He's the one that God didn't listen to. And this horrible, evil guy, and he was horrible and evil. Or you missed the point of the parable. He's the one that Jesus says gets vindicated or gets justified. So let's talk about three little handles of the parable. The first is, let's notice the position. The Pharisee, because he is religious and and he feels good about himself, He is there, and he goes to the front of the temple. He gets out in front where everyone can see him, and he's there. And do you know how people prayed in the first century and how Jews prayed? In the Bible, it said they went to pray. Timothy says, lifting holy hands. They stood. Okay, So in the vast majority, 95% plus of the time, when people prayed in the Bible, they stood. All right, They stood, and they didn't just stand. They lift up their hands to heaven in expectation. Both as saying, I'm lifting my hands and my prayers to heaven, and also their hands to receive what heaven would answer. So just so you know, in this church, okay, if you ever want to pray standing and have your hands, you're welcome to, meaning that would be the natural posture of how people prayed uh, throughout the Bible. All right? You will notice that in the Orthodox Church and some Episcopal churches and other churches, uh, it's coming back, not, I mean, the Orthodox is not, they never left standing when they pray, but, but uh, and you, I've seen it in more and more Episcopal and Anglican churches where people will stand rather than kneel when they pray. The other thing they do is they would lay prostrate. When they were really serious, they didn't kneel the way we kneel. They would get on their face. Uh, uh, there's some times uh, that I have sensed the Holy Spirit touching me, and I've knelt, I mean, I'm not knelt, I have laid prostrate on the altar, and I could hear people whispering, is he okay? Well, the answer all to that is maybe, you know, I mean, but there was nothing physically wrong, meaning in response to the Spirit of God, there's times when you feel His presence, and just to be on your face before Him is the only appropriate thing. So if you ever want to be prostrate before the Lord, you can't just get to the aisles and make sure people can get through. Don't clog the main aisle, all right? Uh, but I mean, there's times when the Lord's moving, and, and the only way to respond to Him is to allow our body to mirror What's happening in our heart, all right? And uh, uh, as you'll hear in a minute, and don't be judgmental one way or other. Now, uh, there was a little kneeling, but that was very rare. 
The only thing people didn't do when they prayed was to sit. Did you know that? Now, our culture, I don't really think, you know, I certainly sit when I pray, particularly when I'm really doing my prayers at home. I'm in my rocking chair, and if you were there to watch, I'm like, zoom, 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 zoom. I mean, some of you know how I rock. I mean, that's how I pray. So, you know, I'm not here to say, but it is interesting than the culture and world of the Bible, that standing would have been the vast majority. And, and I want you to experiment, not because you're charismatic or Pentecostal necessarily, but it, wouldn't it be nice to at least learn that the normal way that the regular person would pray, and if we pray together during the service, that you would, as Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, lifting holy hands, that, that you would pray in a posture where you would stand and lift your hands to heaven. And in fact, they would look to heaven. Jesus is looking up. I was taught with every eye closed and every head bowed. That's not what they would do. They weren't looking down at themselves on the floor. They were looking up into heaven. And that's how Jesus prayed. What a good model for us. So the Pharisee, very religious, he's doing what everybody else was doing. But he's not embarrassed. He's not a, trying to hide over in the side. He's right in the center of attention. And he stands and he lifts his hands. And something really tragic happens. I think it's really easy for this very same sin to happen here at St. Andrews. Because the Bible says that he prayed thus with himself. Meaning he didn't even realize he was going through the motions that he wasn't really praying to God. He was really praying to himself. He was disconnected. Do you realize with the liturgical church and these written prayers, we can give ourselves to these prayers and they can have incredible power, but it is easy in a liturgical church. Now, it's just as easy in a non-liturgical church, but it is certainly easy in a liturgical church to go through the motions and to not be giving our hearts. If you're not moving past the gravity of passivity in worship, in opening your heart and trying to give yourself to what's being said and done, we could just be like the the Pharisee, and praying with ourselves. There's times when the Lord has showed me you can be leading a service like that. Now, it's a hard thing. I was talking to Father Larry because one of the things that happens is if you're up there and you're the voice of the service and you're leading the prayers, if you really start praying, you mess up the words. So sometimes you're going to say, how could could Father Larry, thank you, yeah, how could Father Larry mess up the Lord's prayer? Well, because if you, once you start really trying to pray it, then you mess up the word. So sometimes you'll hear a stumble, you'll think, surely we're paying them enough to be able to read. Okay? The problem isn't the reading. The problem is that if you're reading it in worship, it's hard to stay and remember that you're the one in the voice that people are following. As soon as I start thinking, thy kingdom come, and, and I start thinking about God's kingdom and the things that aren't God's kingdom, I start stumbling in the... So, on the one hand, we're not there just to be a robot and to read. And to be this... On the other hand, if you're leading the service, you have to to give yourself, but even hold back a little bit uh, so that you don't mess up the words because you're there in prayer and in worship. Larry's very kind. He brought me tea. That's very kind. Very nice. Now they're all jealous. So the Pharisee, he gets there, and and not only is he praying to himself, he starts doing this, and this is one of the key signals that you know that we're slipping into self-righteousness. 
I thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I don't do bad things. I don't drink, smoke, or dance. And I don't have affairs with other women. I don't. So when we start praying and we start thinking about how good we are, we're in real bad shape. Now, we want you to be good, and God wants you to be good. But when we start approaching God, when his property is always to have mercy, and our righteousness compared to his righteousness is as filthy rags, as the Bible says. The righteousness we have, we receive by faith that comes from Jesus. And, and, and we've grown and we've changed, and it's amazing. And, and, and we're not trying to take away anything from all the ways that we've grown and we've learned and we've become disciplined in our character. But when we start praying to God and worshiping and thinking about ourselves and also thinking about the other person, oh, they're not kneeling right. I'm glad I know how to hold my hands right. I know how to do this right. Oh, that person... Look what they're wearing. Look what this has happened. Look at this. When we are conscious of other people, we lose the capacity to really worship. And I'll tell you something else that kills us is our own self-consciousness. Some of us, we are not reaching and growing in worship because we're so conscious of ourselves that we're afraid to lift our hands or do whatever. But the idea of Catholicism, the early church in the Bible, the Jews, is that the reason that we kneel, the reason that we stand, the reason that we sit, is that the, our body is supposed to be mirroring externally what the internal... I'll tell you, it changes things if you allow both the internal and the external to be in harmony as you worship. I'll tell you, it, I guarantee it will change your worship when you get beyond self-consciousness. It took me a while. Some of you know I was raised anti-charismatic... And, and I mean, the idea of raising my hands was absolutely like, I wouldn't even imagine, never. Little did I know I'm going to go to Oxford and be trained to be a priest. And they're going to tell you, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you're supposed to, if the person who's leading the service is supposed to have their hands out in that position. So I used to say to myself, now this sounds funny because some of you think of me as being very charismatic today, but let me tell you, I said to, the only way I could justify doing what they told me in priest training was, I said, well, I'll keep my elbows in because then I won't be charismatic. And as if charismatic was a disease. You know, like, like I, I don't want to be that, so I keep, if I keep my elbows tight, and if you, if you see me really being free, you'll notice sometimes my elbows are way out here. Woo! I'll tell you, I can, there's something happens. I can tell a difference when I pray for you, the way, the position that my hands are, and when I hold people's hands, when I lay hands, I can tell a difference of the power of the Holy Spirit, even based upon how my hands are and how I'm praying. Somehow the natural and the supernatural, they're connected together. But here's a guy who's doing everything right. The problem is on the inside, everything's wrong. It's not that he's not a really great guy, but he is impressed with himself. And that self-righteousness and that pride blocks him from the grace that God wants to give him. It is so easy for us to learn the motions, to, to do all these things, and to be tuned out. And we really, the Bible could say, they're just going through the motions. They're praying with themselves. They're not praying in the worship service together. They're just praying with themselves. If anybody, it's easy to have that happen, it'd be right here. Now, there's something, there's also with the liturgical service, if we all come and we're giving ourselves and focusing and asking God to help us 
to worship together, there's also a capacity. See, in a non-liturgical church, you never know what's going to happen in a sense. You don't have to wonder what we're going to say when it comes down to communion. Therefore, you can give yourself to it. There's a chance that your heart and your spirit can give yourself to the worship in a way that you cannot do if you don't know what's going to happen. That's one of the beauties of having highly biblical prayers and a, and a, and a liturgy, a service based on agreed upon commitment of worship because then we can all participate in a deeper way. We could never do that. In the Baptist church where I grew up, and I'm not I'm just trying to be anti-Baptist, but I'll tell you this. If you said, uh, Brother Ken, would you get up and pray? We never knew what Ken was going to say. Not that it's not bad, but, and I can listen and agree. But in a Sunday morning service, if we're here and we're all focusing on the same prayer, you don't have to wonder, is it going to be wacky? Is it gonna... we, we know that this stuff is coming out of the Bible. We're praying about 85% direct biblical passages. Oh, he's doing something like must be really bad when they start like, do you have codeine cough syrup? I mean, if you're going to give, I mean, why give me trinkets? Let's, let's help the problem. All right, sorry. Some of you had it. You're smiling like you've had it before. All right. So here's this one. And Jesus says, this guy, his position, he's, he's impressed with himself. He wants other people to be impressed with him. His posture is one reflecting that, and his prayer reflects self-righteousness um, instead of a God-consciousness of how needy that he is before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then you get this horrible person, and his position, instead of being in the middle and where people can see him, he's in the back. Now, this is no, uh, there's no bonus point for being hiding in the back, and a lot of people like to hide in the back and, you know, whatever, but, but there's no bonus point, but, but but it shows us about him. He wasn't even comfortable hardly coming in. And he's in the very back. And instead of looking up to heaven, he can't even dream of looking up to heaven because he's so aware of his sins and his weaknesses and his problems. And, and so he doesn't even look up. And then his only prayer is this, as he beats his breast. And you'll notice in the service when we say, God have mercy, Lord have mercy, you'll see that one of the manual acts that they train the priest, you don't have to. But one thing is we'll say, you know, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, you, there's the beating of the breast because of this text. He literally understood, and he's, he's beating the breast, and God, have mercy upon me. I know how pathetic and terrible and all the terrible things I've done, and, and, he's, and so his only prayer is, God, have mercy. Now, I really don't like this because every place you go, every translation, it seems, translate this, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That is not what it says in the Greek. This is what it says. God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. There is a world of difference between the indefinite article, uh, the, or a sinner, versus God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Meaning his, there's plenty of other sinners. But when he came in the presence of God and when he was praying, the only thing he could think of was his own sins and his and he knew he didn't deserve it. And Jesus says, the shock of all shocks, that religious guy, he was really good. He was, but his self-righteous, he could never, he was relying upon his goodness, and his goodness would never be good enough to receive the righteousness of Jesus. And this guy who was so horrible, because he understood his great need and his sins, 
when he comes and says, God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. He never imagined. But Jesus says, God vindicated that one. And the other one went back to his house and God said, no. The gospel is that the righteousness of Jesus invites us in to a life where our sins are forgiven and a life of being able to follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to grow and change. The point wasn't that this guy, the task collector, should stay the way he was. The old uh, Anglican saying is this, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. But don't change and forget that we all need the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. So let me go to one last thing. If you have your little thing there, can you go to the prayer of humble access on the screen? Can you move to the prayer of humble access? It's got move forward, move forward. Now notice why our service says it this way. We say this every time before we have communion. What powerful words if we mean them. Now remember, we say in this prayer that God's property is always to have mercy. That's not true. It's always to have mercy on people who have already committed themselves to love and charity with their neighbors. They've already come and repented of their sins, meaning the service qualifies people more and more, that we have hard repentance and true faith. Once you've already agreed that you have hard repentance and true faith, you're, you're committed to living for Jesus and all these different things. Now, at the very end, right before we take communion, to the people who have already been qualified by the blood of Jesus and by their faith in Jesus, then it is true that we can be assured that God's property is always to have mercy because we've already, what they call, uh, fenced the table. We've already qualified by the Bible who we're talking about. Now look what we say, and we need to mean when we come to communion. We do not presume. The Pharisee, the religious person, presumed. Presumed that it was because they were good and said that Jesus had died. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. Listen, I know a whole bunch of you pretty well, and you're really good people. You're following Jesus, and Jesus looks good. In you. That's fantastic. But you're not coming, and I'm not coming, based upon my righteousness or your righteousness. We're coming remembering, just like Paul. Chief of sinners, even though, praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit has transformed us and we're growing and learning every day, but we still know who we are. Our righteousness comes because of Jesus, not because we're great people or better than anybody else. Whatever progress is by the grace of God. We apply ourselves to it, but it is the grace of God. We do not presume to come to this thy table. Oh, merciful Lord, Trusting in our own righteousness. I want to scream this sometimes. But in thy manifold, that's overflowing, thy manifold and great mercies. We're coming because we know a God who is faithful. He died on the cross for us and he shed his blood. Oh, we're not coming because we're good. Some of us are afraid of communion. Listen, don't be afraid. If you have sincere repentance and true faith, hearty repentance and true faith, come, come, come. We're not coming because... We're good. We're coming because he's good, and he wants to strengthen us and to help us. We are not worthy on our own. We are worthy in Jesus. We come because Jesus made us worthy. But 
the tension here is that we're not worthy on our own. Okay? We are not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs. We're not like the little dog. On the, we're not so worthy. We're not, we're not so worthy. We are not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs from thy table. But we're looking to you, the God of all mercy, the God of all grace. There's hope for us despite the fact that we really struggle and we haven't gotten a lot of things figured out yet. So we keep repenting, we keep receiving, and we keep asking Jesus to encounter us in his body and blood and to change us. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy if we really repent and we really believe. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed by his most precious blood. And then here's the thing I love. We talked about it last week, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. That, that as a resulting of experiencing in our corporate worship the body and blood of Jesus, that our relationship, that the intimacy, that the presence of Jesus would be growing and transforming us. That the reality of him in us and we also participate by him, the Bible says, in the life of the Trinity. That that reality would be strengthened and be transformative. The church wants us to remember our God, who is a God of great mercy, and not forget that we're people in need of great mercy. Because it's possible to be having changed so much through the years that we almost, if we're not careful, start thinking that it's about us and forget that it's all about him. There's nothing more ugly than a self-righteous Christian. Slipping the self, this is how you know. Are you self-conscious? Hindering your worship? That's a sign of self-righteousness. Perfectionism, a sign of self-righteousness. And that you're worried. That Jesus is like, I know you blow it. I love you and forgive you. People who can't forgive themselves, right? That's self-righteousness. Because they think as if they could be perfect and better than everybody else. Jesus is like, I know you're a sinner. I, I accept you. I've had a lot of perfectionism. You laugh because I think I make so many mistakes. But I've had a, in, in my, I had this grandiose idea of myself. And I remember one time the Lord said to me, I'm not, I'm, I felt like I can't believe I sinned. I felt like I heard the Lord say, Ron, I'm not surprised at all. I'm serious. I feel like he said, ah, and I thought, hmm, wonder why you're not surprised I am. And I thought, because you're, you're phony baloney with yourself. You, you, you talk to yourself in that you're something more than you are. I love you and I've forgiven you, but, but I'm not surprised at all that you're in constant, ongoing need. Are you focusing on other people? Focusing on other people? You know, it's so easy. One of the hardest things I have to do is to read the Bible and make sure I'm praying, Lord, for me. Because it's easy to say, oh, that would be a good Bible study. Or Susie could hear that. I have to tell you, rarely do I think that it's for Susie, in all honesty. But you can be thinking about this. Growing up as a kid, I used to think, my brother. My brother's coming to spend a couple weeks with me. And, uh, but as a child, I used to think, that's for David. That's for my sister Cindy. You know, it was for everybody except for who? me. All right? We have a God who's probably always have mercy. As long as we have hearty repentance through faith. In the meantime, we say, Lord, help us 
that we would repent more and understand our sins better, that we could bring them to you so that at the cross, we could encounter your great love and your forgiveness. Dear God, help us that we would not having been saved by your blood and knowing that to somehow get religious down the line and become this ugly, awful thing. So that as we come to worship, instead of you saying, welcome home, I love you and strengthen us, that God would say, nothing ha- not only did nothing happen, I oppose the proud and I give grace to the humble. There are many times in my life that the Lord said to me, it's not a devil, it's not the world, I'm opposing you. I'm opposing you because you're so proud. We, I thought to myself, I can't afford having God against me too. But I've been so self-righteous and so... Listen, we're coming here together. I'm going to pray, and would you pray with me that the Lord would begin to soften our hearts, that we would really know what it means, that we're not presuming that as much as God's changes, we know who we are apart from Christ. And we would never want to presume upon him. And if we have, dear Lord, forgive us. So Lord Jesus, this morning we come. Lord, we see the power and the beauty of these prayers. Lord, surely I have been presumptuous. And Lord, I pray and I thank you for the forgiveness that you provided me in Jesus. Lord, would you take our eyes off of everybody else? Oh, they may be really awful, but Lord, it would, it would, it would blind us and keep us from the grace that we need. And maybe they're not, so maybe it's our hearts so judgmental, but however it is about the others, it's none of our problem. Lord, help us understand that our problem is for us to come, knowing who we are and how wonderful you are. Uh, Would you give us the freedom, Lord? Would you set us free from from the self-righteousness of self-consciousness? From all that perfectionism. Lord, someone probably put it on us and made us feel we had to be perfect. Or, or maybe we thought if we were perfect, we wouldn't be hurt. We could avoid pain, but it's a lie of the enemy. And I pray, Lord, that you would set us free from the spirit and the bondage of, of righteousness and perfectionism. Lord, would you set us free from the spirit of self-consciousness? Would you allow us to respond to you in our souls and bodies? Lord, would you teach us and allow us to worship together So, Lord, that as we come, not presuming to be anything apart from you and your wonderful salvation, that together our worship experience would be enhanced because you'd be pleased, that you'd visit us, that you'd pour out your spirit here. Oh, help us, Lord. We really need you. We really need you, and we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Now, Lord, we give you this communion time. And we pray that the reality of your presence within us and our presence within you and your body, uh, Lord, that in a new way, in a new depth, uh, we'd have a sense of that, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray these things in the most wonderful and precious name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus, and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven.